Hey, songwriter, I hate to tell you this, but it is not about you. I'm going to tell you what it is about if you do want cuts and hits and if you want to be a pro songwriter. All right, Johnny, do your thing. Welcome to the club! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. Leverage is what you're going to need in the new business. Gone are the days where the big company comes in and spends millions of dollars to take you from obscurity on your couch into a household name, big time star. That's not how it's going to happen. You're going to have to create a small business, a profitable working small business with results and labels or acquisition-based companies. They're going to come in now and, and buy that up and if you prop, if small business is profitable enough, you're going to be conflicted about it. Like, because you don't necessarily need the label. And right. that's why we called it the climb, because that's called leverage, creating leverage in the music business. See what we did there? That was brilliant. That's a Baxter from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent is an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Got a couple number ones last year. And uh, we're going on a couple number ones this year. And what I love about Brent is he is going to take a songwriter like you and teach you how to behave like a professional by teaching you how to do business like a pro, how to write like a pro, and then ultimately he's going to get you in touch with the pros. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Yeah, it's complicated, but thankfully, Johnny is smart. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production, singular, no S. There is no S because there is no other Johnny D. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing well. I'm just uh, recovering from about uh, a 50-hour trip back from Africa, back from Tanzania a couple days ago. That's a long that flight. put a hurting on you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just hit the ground running. I'm looking out my window right now at a yard sale going on. My wife looks like she's haggling with some dude, which sounds weird. But anyway, uh, negotiating sales of, I don't know, some Beanie Babies or something. Right outside the window. So uh just came back and hit the ground running. So it's good to see you again, man. Good to see you too. Welcome back, man. You did a Thank lot of you. good uh, missionary work over there. Trying to love on love on some orphans, help a missionary out. We built like I got definitely out of my comfort zone. I got to cut a safe in half with like a grinder, which was fun. I felt like a safe cracker, which is cool. Got to, uh, you know, do weird stuff like that, build shelving, build some soccer goals, do some pipe cutters, all that good stuff that I normally don't do because I normally sit on my backside in my office and put little words together. So uh, <laughs> that was fun to get out of my comfort zone and uh, kill some scorpions and, and do that kind of stuff. Fascinating. All right. Yeah, it was a good and trip. you didn't come back with anything, uh, anything interesting like dengue fever or some kind of Nothing crap like, like that. that. We got our yellow fever uh, vaccinations and our typhoid vaccinations before we went. We uh, we are still taking the last of our malaria pills for a couple more days to make sure we don't get the you know the buggy fever. Yeah. And uh, so far, we got so good. my pills against mosquito death. <laughs> my body's <laughs> breathing his right. dying breath. Let's hope none of that. So uh, yeah, it was good. We took them. Uh, I had. A few COVID tests, you know, just before we could travel. That you think traveling to another continent is not fun? 
uh, wait till you stack a bunch of like COVID tests and hey, we're going to stick Q-tips up your nose here in the airport. No, stack that on top of fifty hours of travel, and you get home in a real good mood. <laughs> you get a real long travel, and you get violated multiple times. Oh, exactly. I was like, <laughs> I went to serve Jesus, and I just about lost my Jesus a couple times on the on the trip home. So, yes. So I'm glad the travel part's over. But my boys take it like champs. I'm so proud of my guys. Right on. Heck yeah. Um, do you see lots of cool, lots of cool? animals we saw all the cool animals except for rhinos we didn't see rhinos but we saw a cheetah eating a rabbit out on the serengeti um and we saw yeah lions and man hyenas and giraffes and wildebeest and all that good stuff it was it was pretty awesome on the safari part of it it was all awesome but the safari was it was really cool it was like all right you know we can't every morning wake up we're like oh savannah savannah you know from the lion king right. so uh it was cool yeah learned a couple of swahili words so, oh yeah, gotta meet some Maasai. Did you learn Swahili cuss words? No, definitely didn't learn any of those. You didn't bring one of those back for me. Come Did on. not bring one of those back from the mission trip. Um, and uh, he brought home a spear and a uh, runga. A runga, a spear. You, you know what a spear is? We got one, you know, like a Maasai type spear, and then we got a runga, which is a Maasai weapon, and it will ruin your day. It is like a fast pass to heaven or hell. So yeah, it it's a big old thump stick. That's a song <laughs> so, right there. Fast, fast pass to heaven or hell. hell yeah. <laughs> so uh, we got those fast up in pass. Ozzy's room. So Ozzy has like his, his you know, weapons up high where kids can't get them. But like, yeah. Oh, my son, you've become a man. Here's your spear. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Nice. So what are we going to learn today? All right. Today we're going to talk about market smart songwriting. So this is kind of some background information on something we touched on a bunch in this podcast. Heck, we're like 280 episodes just about into this thing. So we talked a lot about how to write, you know, this is geared toward people that want to be pros, people that want to get other people to record their songs or writers that want to write their own songs for their own artist stuff and have it connect to fans. And so we're just going to lay some of the groundworks uh, on that as far as what is market smart songwriting? You know, what is that about? And basically, it's not about you, but we're going to get to that in a minute. I almost named this. It's not about you, but I saw that Johnny had an episode by the same name a while back. So I was like, I got to spin a different title. God, good for you. Like, how much research you have to do to find that title? Because oh, I was I, I, I was wondering I if I'd already done it. Anyway. I was wondering if I'd already done it, so I did a quick look, and it showed up under one of your titles. So because nah. I got the I got the spreadsheet of all my titles and stuff. So not too much research. Thanks. Right on. <laughs> well, before we uh, before we get to that, let's take care of a little business here. As always, we are super proud and excited to be a part of American Songwriter Magazine's podcast network. That's a 36-year-old brand name that has been around forever. I still haven't gotten my Common cover magazine with Common on the cover yet. I don't know. Like, that's my mail. That's not That's not American Song. That's my mail. I know that's my mail. I know for a fact. <laughs> yeah. That's my mail. I'm in an office building where everybody gets their business mail at home. That's <laughs> not good. It's not that's good. not a good sign. That's just the deal there. But listen, guys, this is a great podcast network. If you've been a climber for years and years, we encourage you to go to the podcast nav button there on americansongwriter.com and check out some of the other shows. It's this, the, all these shows are about your wheelhouse, whether it's songwriting or production or the music business. And there's some, some good information on there. And if you found us through the American Songwriter Podcast Network. Welcome to the climb. That's right. Glad you're here. <laughs> Join the climb community. That's on Facebook. You have to ask to be let in, but we let everybody in. And you just have to be good boys and girls and post stuff where you're supposed to, or we'll roadhouse you out. Mm -hmm. 
this is where this is singers, songwriters, indie artists, musicians, any music, everybody in there helping one another with promo ideas and different things that work and sharing their wins. Like, hey, I just got a cut. I just got a hold. I just got this. I just got that. A sync. Whatever. Uh, co-writes or, you know, relationships are being made. International lucrative co-write relationships have been made. That's really cool. So we want to encourage you to come in there, guys. It's growing every single day. And and this is not your normal vapid Facebook community where people are either shouting into a wall or you go there and you saw the group like last year. And so you posted something and then you came back a year later and checked that out again. You were the last post. <laughs> exactly. I've been well, there's 200,000 members. So it's cool. It's a big audience. You right, know? It's exactly. Like, oh. Yeah. Nobody cares. It's a ghost town, right? <laughs> yes. Not not the climb community. We don't spam. <laughs> not the climb community. We don't spam. We jam, right? That's great. I'm yep. not doing good on my, on my Clint Eastwood whistle. Uh, it's not here. bad. Not bad at all. Ah, I'm doing it better. But anyway, <laughs> subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your podcasts so that you get every single episode and you know you have those insomniac nights and you can just go through and at least take advantage of why stare at the ceiling all night when you can learn at the same time you're going to be up anyway that's right now i warn you though we may not put you to sleep like some other podcast i was out last night dude with with andy croft like who's a songwriter artist friend of mine Mm -hmm. and and one of our friends jason who's a lawyer and he like really got turned on to the podcast awesome And he's and he's he's not even in the music business. He's like, dude, I just like like listen to what you guys are doing. It's like so interesting, like how that works and stuff. And yeah. we were talking about. It. And then last night he's like, yeah, dude. He goes, the other night, I, like I was, I, I got in bed and I put you guys on and I went right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks. John, <laughs> it must helps. have been yeah. a brand episode. That's funny. Oh my goodness, but. Anyway, and then uh, the best thing, guys, uh, leave a rating review. And the best thing you can do is, is tell a friend about it. We are so grateful and, and do not take the time that you spend with us on a weekly basis for granted in any way, shape, or form. And we want you to know that. Bottom line is if we tell people we're great, it's 50% true. But if you're doing it for a reason, right? you're not doing it because you're, you're in some Brent and Johnny outreach program that you're running here <laughs> right. to make us feel better. You're, you're, you're getting something out of it. So tell somebody else about it. Let them know. Spread that around and, and we can help them too. Because if you tell them it's 100% true, right? That's right. All right, let's get into it. All right. So uh, I'm pulling a lot of this from, you know, previous like old blog posts, but it's true. It's not, it's not old, it's timeless. And from uh, Hacking Music, which is uh, a book that I helped contribute to, it's by our buddies uh, John Pashada and Wade Sutton. So Hacking Music, it's a music business type book. And so I contributed to that in the, uh, the old contributor section at the end, but I just want to pull some of this out and, and kind of, you know, remind y'all of this because it's very kind of foundational. If you want to be a pro songwriter, if you want other people to cut your song. So I was leading one of songwriting pros online workshops a while back. And a question came along that really just hit me upside the head. So the group is sharing song ideas as part of a workshop exercise, and they were brainstorming and helping each other develop rough song ideas into something more commercial. So just a fun, like group brainstorming thing at this workshop. And so while we're discussing one particular idea, Jonathan, who's one of our awesome workshop members, he asked a simple but hugely profound question. What's in it for the listener? So if you want to get cuts, your song better have a good answer to that question. Why should your listener care about your song? Like what about your song is going to bring the listener back for more? What does your song have going for it that will motivate the listener to stream that song 10 times in a day or to brace yourself, actually buy the song? So it's not about you, it's about the listener. And you got to be thinking about what's in it 
for the listener. Here's a little example. Like, do you have a friend who bores you to death with pointless stories or drones on about some topic that really doesn't interest you in the least? Your eyes glaze over and you can't recall anything he or she said like two minutes later. Now, is there any way you'd want to put that conversation on repeat? Like, I want to listen no. to that again. No, of course not. But what about your other friend? Your other friend, you know, the one you actually do like and do like to see him coming, right? He or she talks about things that interest you, things that you can relate to or that you just or they just plain know how to tell an interesting, entertaining story. Or maybe even better, they talk about you, right? Your conversation with that friend actually has something in it for you. It sure makes spending time with that person a whole lot more enjoyable. So like the friend who drones on and on about stuff you, you don't care about, you don't relate to versus your friend that brings up your, like for John, it'd be like your friend that's like, how about those Packers? Oh my gosh, what's yeah. going on with the Rodgers? And you're like, in, right? And yeah. you're immediately like, yes, what's in it for me is this is something that turns me on, right? Or yeah. for me, it'd be somebody asking about the Razorbacks or whatever. It's like, that's the bottom line, really. Why should the listeners want to spend time with you and your conversation in your song again and again and again? What's in it for them? So that's that's just a exactly. big foundational question. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't write for yourself, but you do want to think about, okay, this is for an artist. This is for a fan. What's, you know, what's in it for them? It's not just about me and what I want to say. So like recently, I heard an interview with uh, Brian White, and he has the current single for Jason Aldean, Blame It On You. And so that song is moving up the charts. Brian uh, is a guy that I've known for a little bit here and there. And and he was talking about, I think he was doing an interview about that song. And he was talking about how what they think about in the room, looking at like, okay, what does an artist need? Is this like a show opener? Could we write a show opener for him? Oh, they already got that. Well, let's write something else. So, you know, is this going to be the kind of the ballad moment in the show? Is this going to be the closer? Is this going to be like, what, what can be going on here? They're, are they thinking about what do I want to say? <laughs> you know, what's going on with me right now? They're thinking about what, what can serve the artist. And the artist is thinking about what's going to serve the listener. I turned on the radio the other day, speaking of Aldine, and I was taking the kids to school and that song, When the Lights Come On, came on uh-huh. Uh-huh. i'm like this is a total show opener it's about when the lights come on at a show so you know if he plays that that's his walkout song right you know that's a show opener for this tour and so they're going to be singing a song called when the lights come on and boom all the lights are coming on and we're going into the song and letting you know and it's kind of meta but talking about how we're about to have a big old party so somebody <laughs> who wrote that is thinking what what does aldine need okay he's going to, he was going to want a different show opener maybe for this tour and what does the audience want they want a hype song to get them ready for the show like yes and that's what they did it probably wasn't so much that the the writer was just thinking well i really love it when the light comes on at a concert and you get so hype and that may be true but you know they're thinking about what's going to serve the artist and what's going to serve the audience so i think that's really important so it's really about the listener. And if you don't believe me, let's let's take a look at what I call the chain of demand. Okay. The, so the listener wants yeah, a like song. This. The chain of demand. All right. So it starts with the listener. Okay. What does the listener want? The listener wants songs that move them in a way that they want to be moved. So mostly that's songs that make them feel good, right? We like our feel good songs. Sometimes it's songs that make them sad. If the radio plays songs they like, they'll keep listening. If they don't like the song, they may switch to another station or they may listen to their playlist or something like that, right? So it's, what does the listener want? They want to feel the way they want to feel, right? Uh, Now, radio, they want songs that keep the listeners listening. 
That's what radio wants, right? We want to yep. keep our listeners listening. So the more listeners a station has, the more they can charge for advertising, which is how they make money. Therefore, radio wants songs that keep listeners feeling good and listening through the commercials. Uh, streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, they also want to keep listeners listening. So they feel good about paying for the monthly subscription or they can sit through the advertisers that, hey, they can Spotify can charge more for ads if they have more listeners. So again, the chain. First, one link is listener. They want to feel the way they want to feel, right? Which is usually I want to feel good. Second link is radio or streaming services. What do they want? They want to keep the listeners listening. So what do you think they want to provide to the listeners? Songs that make the listeners feel the way they want to feel, right? Goes yeah. back to the listener. Give the customer what they want. Exactly. Okay. So artist. What do artists want? They want radio airplay or they want tons of streams. That's because, you know, like radio airplay is still the main channel by which an audience hears new songs. So streaming is quickly catching up. But, you know, artists want to hit. So their songs is exposed to more listeners. So more listeners buy the single, the album, the concert ticket, the T-shirt, all that good stuff. Therefore, the artist wants songs that they believe will both get played on radio and streaming services and will motivate the listener to buy some from that artist. All right. And artists also want songs that fit them artistically, you know. And that's also what the label wants. Label wants the same thing. They want a lot of spins. They want to motivate listeners to spend money. That way the label makes money, right? Yeah. So what does a songwriter want? You know, so we're, now we're getting to us, right? The songwriter wants artists to cut their songs. They want songs to get played on the radio. And they want listeners to like those songs enough to buy them because that's how we make a living. Is not just getting cuts, but by actually those songs getting sold. Like somebody yeah. streaming, downloading, buying the song. That's how we make. I don't make a penny if Garth Brooks cuts my song, but nobody buys it. I make nothing. So I want a song that actually has a chance to get spun on the radio, that sort of thing. So we got all these links in this chain. And what does it all go back to? So let's look at it the other way, right? Songwriter, I want an artist to cut my song and put on the radio. What does an artist want? He wants to get spins on the radio. So he's looking for songs that he thinks can get spun on the radio. Well, what kind of songs get spun on the radio? Radio wants songs to spin songs that they think their audience is going to like and want to listen to. So they're thinking about the audience. What's the audience wanting? Songs that make them feel good, usually. You know, make them feel mm -hmm. the way they want to feel. So it all goes back to the artist, or to the to the listener, Right. Ultimately, yeah, we're all in service of the listener. That is a chain of demand. Listener demands the type of song that makes them feel the way they want to feel. So radio demands that type of song from artists. Artists demand that type of song from writers. So, you know, it sounds easy, right? <laughs> well, it, sounds, it sounds so simple, but we don't think about it that way. Like uh, This reminds me of a conversation my dad had with me before I went out on my first tour. And his neighbor, neighbor John Heap is over. Like He's like buddies with our neighbor. And they're grilling some stuff out and we're getting ready to go out on our first tour. And it's a club tour. Mm -hmm. And my dad's like, what business are you in? And I'm like, I'm in the music business. He goes, mm -hmm. no, no. What business are you in? And I'm like, dude, I'm playing a band. <laughs> I'm in the music business. He goes, no. He goes, who's your customer? And I'm like, all those people that are going to come and adore me and be in the crowd. He's like, no, <laughs> that's not the right answer, you know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, who's going to pay you? And I slid the club owner and he's like, ah, mm -hmm. and what is the club owner? What business is he in? I'm like, he's in the bar business. He goes, that makes 
you in the bar business. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to remember that when you're out there. Mm. And I mean, it was like such a life lesson because a couple of things I learned on this, like a little side note was like markets have personalities. Different markets have different personalities, you know? Mm. I mean, it's so strange to think that before Sammy Hagar joined Van Halen, he was a multi-platinum Ferrari driving, bona fide freaking arena touring headliner rock star. Yeah. With, I mean, a massive rock star, but never sold any records in St. Louis. Yeah. They just didn't give a crap about Sammy Hagar. And the funny story is that's the first live date he had with Van Halen when he joined him. And he was freaking out with Eddie. He's like, dude, any other town but St. Louis, they don't <laughs> like me here. And he's just like, yeah. dude, we own this town. Don't worry about it. You know, it's Van Halen, not Sammy Hagar. Yeah. And I go, all right. And so it turned out great. Well, in Milwaukee, we love Rush, this band Rush mm -hmm. in Milwaukee. And every day growing up, man, Rush Hour, you know, they would play Rush songs, like obscure Rush songs on the radio, on the regular yeah. on the radio, you know. And when you grow up there, you just think that's what everybody's listening to. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so we had like this killer musician band and we had put together this um, half hour medley of Rush songs that went from Hemisphere's record all the way up to like Power Windows. And uh, and we split it up into like two 15-minute chunks. And man, the musicians freaking loved us, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we were executing that stuff with precision. But yeah. the bar owner and some of the girls in the audience or whatever become like, man, you guys are great. We're like, thanks. Like, what are you playing? <laughs> yeah. What is that? You know what I mean? And we weren't giving the customers what they wanted. Yeah. And we had to pivot. And then when Kid Gypsy happened, that's when we had to do covers. We were, we were way more on top of that, you know, yeah. like, okay, let's just, let's just go out here and make some money and, and make a living and have a great time doing what we want to do. But it's like, who's your customer? Yeah. And I mean, you, you went and just did that math, Brent. And it seems like so painfully obvious. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're not telling me something I don't know, but when was the last time you thought about it like that? Yeah. I mean, it's so time? easy when you're in the writing room to, and I've done this plenty is just like, I'm trying to find something interesting to say, something different to say something, or maybe that's just on my mind or on my heart, you know, all that stuff, uh, which is perfectly valid to write. Right. Which can, which can matter and be absolutely positively profitable. Yeah, it can be for sure. Uh, and I've had some of those where just, you know, tickling my own fancy and enjoying myself and writing something that made me laugh or whatever, you know, and it mm -hmm. or made me smile and we get a cut. Um, but also, you know, did we think enough about, well, gee, what does the artist want? What is the and what does their their audience want? You know, that's yeah. that's a different kind of question. And that puts you in a different kind of headspace to go, oh, yeah, I'm writing for like I need to write a hit. Okay, you know, and that can be a total head game and and screw you up too and mess with your creativity and it can shut you down. And you, you got to be careful with that, right? Or it can make you write bland things that make sound like a hit, you know. So you don't want it. That does you no good either. But but it is serving the artists. Like I remember yeah. uh, talking to Ray Hamilton about Ashley McBride mm -hmm. and Girl Going Nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that day she's in the writing room, and I I, I forget who co-wrote that song, but he was just was like it Jeremy. I think you're about Jeremy Bussey, maybe. Writer was like, they just got to talking about the Grand Ole Opry. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she was just dreaming about the day that she was going to get to play the Grand Ole Opry for the first time, because that's mm -hmm. a Mecca, right? That's yeah. like Madison Square Garden. That's a big deal. And, and he's like, from that conversation, he's like, well, what song would you sing? 
And she's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, well, I think we need to write a song. <laughs> yeah. That you're going to sing the first time you play the Grand Ole Opry. And that was the boom. And she's like, oh, I love it. And that was Girl Going Nowhere. Yeah, not you know, too that bad was her for life a girl story going about nowhere. Everybody said it. Yeah. Like, you know, like, and how perfect that 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 was intentionally mm-hmm. manifested, you know, and that's yeah. exactly what she's saying the first time she played the Opry. Because they decided it in a writing room, you know, like it's so freaking so smart, cool, man. Yeah, and one more thing too, and emotional. That's the thing. It's smart, but it's also that song's very. You know, all her heart and feelings are in this thing, right? So it's not like this cold, calculated, lifeless piece of machinery. It's also like you know, it's something that an, the artist really wanted to say and connected with on an emotional level. It's a, it's a definitely emotional song. You know, the artist connects with it. You know, she wrote it. You can bet that she had the, a lump on her throat before oh. she walked out on that stage and probably came backstage and fell apart after that. Like, I can't right. believe that just happened. Yeah. And that was the message that she wanted to tell them. Yeah. You know, it, it was thought out. It's like a meeting. It's like when you go into a meeting, you can't just go wing it. You got like, okay, what do I want out of this meeting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, there's intention there. And it doesn't take away from the artistic quality of it or or the purity of it even. Yeah. Girl Going Nowhere is as pure as it gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also a hope in there for the listener. You know, that it's yeah. that underdog story that people love to hear and gravitate toward and, and want to put themselves on and yep. like wear that story. So that that's a one more thing before you yeah. get going. Cause I want to take one more side note is that with artists, this happens in marketing all the time too, that I'll get some artists that, or I'll do some consultations sometimes with artists that are like, they start to cop on to what we're talking about here on the climb. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to do some covers and yeah. I'm like, okay, great. Now, when you do covers, rule number one is you can't do a cover from an artist that's in your lane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you're just going to be compared to that artist. Yeah. And they're going to choose the artist over you all the time because that's you're not going to do anything drastically different to it, even if you put your fingerprint on it. Yeah. So you want to choose artists that are out of your lane. And now we're talking about what does the consumer want? What's mm-hmm. the consumer thinking? How are they going to consume that? Mm-hmm. How are they, you know, it doesn't, you, they don't, you are nobody. So they don't give a crap about your homage to right. your hero. Right. And, and then the deep cut, the other thing is they want to do the deep cut to show their, how sophisticated their taste yeah. is with this artist. And I'm like, okay, that's not going to work either. Because yeah. you're the only one that knows about that deep cut. You <laughs> exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. They don't know that. So like, you should be the gourds who are a bluegrass band from Colorado that cover something they have no business covering, which is Snoop Dogg's Gin and Juice. Mm-hmm. Or or Marilyn Manson who covered the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams uh-huh. are made of these. Like and do something so freaking different with it that it's because that's what makes it like, oh my God, I love this song and it's so different. Yeah. Like I love what you did with it. That's the game, but they get lost in their own head and thinking about themselves Mm -hmm. and being selfish. And it's like, you know what? You're only doing this for promotional purposes, right? (laughs) Right. Why is this even a conversation that like a debate? Mm -hmm. It's like, what? Like, like give them what they want. This is not a, this is about to get them excited and you for your music. Mm -hmm. Hey, climbers, welcome to some help. 
That's right. We want to turn you on to a professional service by our sponsor, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. Listen, as singers, songwriters, and artists, our greatest strength is sometimes our greatest weakness, and that is our emotional intensity. Listen, it helps you create great art, but it can also torpedo not just your career, but your life. And we don't want the bad stuff. We just want the great art. We want your emotions to be a source of help, not hurt. And that brings us to BetterHelp.com. Sorry, guys, it's not a crisis line. This is not a self-help line. This is a professional counseling service that's done securely online. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And as an artist and as somebody who deals with artists, the licensed professional counselors that they have, the stuff they specialize in, I'm going to read you just a quick little list. I've had to deal with all these at one point or another, either myself or with other artists. So this is real stuff. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trouble sleeping, a lot of us have had traumas, anger, family conflicts, if LGBTQ matters, grief from loss is something, a loved one maybe. And, and just about every artist I know, I don't, I don't think I know one that doesn't secretly have a little self-esteem issue going on. So here's somebody you can talk to. That's right. And you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. So you don't have to wait long to start talking to somebody. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available, which is great. I'm always happy to see that. And the service is available for clients worldwide, meaning you don't have to just find somebody local who understands you, but that you might run into at the grocery store. You can find counselors worldwide. So it doesn't matter where you are. That's right, guys. If you want to dig down a little deeper on this, there's a ton of testimonials that you can research that are on their website at betterhelp.com. And this podcast is just because we want you to win. We don't want this stuff to get in the way of your artist's career. So if this can help, then we want to help you help yourself. So as a climber, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash songwriter. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash songwriter. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
So it's just, oh, yeah, that I always mean, leaves me scratching my head. I remember I was working with an artist who was doing political comedy stuff. And we're trying to, this was years ago, back before I was a climber, back before the climb was a thing, right? So I didn't know all that we knew now, but, you know, just knew a little bit of stuff about the cover game on YouTube. And, and so he's doing political comedy stuff. I'm like, you need to do some, like, you know, parodies, like Weird Al, some of this stuff, but make it in the subject matter, what your subject matter is, which is like political comedy. Um, and like conservative political comedy. I'm like, okay. And the song that was out at that time or, or was about to be out or something like that was, you know, was a current song was Jason Aldean's 1994. You know, that yeah. Joe, 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 Diffie, yeah. Joe, you know, yeah. and I was like, you need to rewrite that and make it 1984, make it about, you know, it's 1984 morning again in America, you know, something about like Reagan <laughs> and like make, you know, that sort of thing. And um, just make it a political comedy song or whatever. And he's like, oh, I don't really like that song. I'm like, it doesn't matter. What matters is a lot of people like it. <laughs> this and is your artistic expression. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's to get people into what you do. And, you know, he never did it. And, you know, what end up, you know, another thing on the table is rewriting Merle Haggard's If We Make It Through uh, December, as uh, from like Obama's point of view, if I make it through November, you know, for the reelection. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's cool. That can be funny. If I make it through November, you know, but yeah. um, nobody's looking for that. I mean, Haggard's awesome. He's one of my heroes. But yeah. if they're looking for if I make it through December, they're going to not find ours. Right. It's yeah. not a current thing that a ton of people are looking for. If they're looking for, they're going to find tons of covers before they find ours. Like hit right. something current that people are looking for currently. And, you know, it just didn't happen. And. And also the career never, that artist never really took off with that stuff, which was frustrating because yeah. the music was good, but the marketing was more self kind of focused, not greedy or, or whatever, selfish, but just not thinking enough about what does the listener want? And I've done that plenty of times with my writing. You know, I've had this conversation. I mentioned it before with Aaron Goodman, who's a, a good buddy of mine. That's a successful Canadian artist on Warner Canada and just about going out and playing songs and be getting outside of that Nashville bubble where we're just writing songs on music row. And, and what do the fans actually want? He's like, man, they just want to have a good time. They want to sing along. They want to have a good time. They mm -hmm. want to sing along. I'm hosting a party and I could sing. You know, I can break your heart three times in a row. And they're happy because they just want to sing along and have a good time. And he goes, and I'll play a brand new song that they don't know. And I tell them, Hey, this is a brand new song. You've never heard it before. Never played it out. Here you go. And by the second course, they're trying to sing along. They're trying to, like, even on the first course, they're trying to, he'll see people trying to sing along who've never heard the song before because they want to participate. <laughs> right. And so covers can be good for that. But also it means like, oh, we need to write like sing alongs, like something that an, an audience can sing along with that's simple enough for them to get on the first listen at, a, you know, at a show that's going to help them have a good time. Yeah. Okay. That's a different thing than going, Boy, here's this really heartbreak idea that has this, you know, the sophisticated twist in it and all these layers and all this stuff, which is just basically, you know, just me trying to flex my songwriter muscles, right? You know, show off a little bit. We call those bluebird songs because if yeah. you know, it's a bluebird, where the the motto is "Shh, listen," right? That's a motto. Shh, let the artists do their thing. Right? Okay, that's cool at the bluebird because everyone's tuned in; and they want to hear that type of thing. But that's the only place it's going to get played. <laughs> you know, that's why they're yeah. called bluebird songs, not stadium songs. And then you have songs that are simple, the ones that we like to turn our nose up at, 
say, oh, well, that's mediocre. That's not great. That's just, uh, you know, yeah, it's just fun and people enjoy it and have a good time. Hmm. I mean, you, you go to a party or say you're hosting a party, right? And you put together your playlist for a party. What kind of stuff are you mm-hmm. going to put on your playlist that, gonna have, that you're going to be playing when Like all deep cuts from albums of artists that nobody knows. That, that nobody knows. Sophistication. Right, exactly. Uh, all, down, all slow ballads. No. You can have party music on that sets the mood, right? So which means because what people go to a party, they want to party. They want to have a good time. Okay? So people go to a show. They want to stand up. They want to have a good time. They want to sing along. They want to party. They want to have a good time. The artist is hosting the party. He wants a playlist that's going to help his fans have a good time. Because while they're up on their feet, it's a lot easier to go to the merch table, right? Instead of having to stand up and walk to the merch table. They're already up. Sweet. They're having a good time, right? So let's provide the artist with songs that help them serve the listener. It's just kind of that simple. It's It's not easy to do. It's hard to do that really, really well. It's very competitive. But if you're thinking that way, at least you're getting in the game. And you're thinking from a service mind as opposed to a selfish mind. Or right? just like, I'm going to write this stuff, then I'll figure out what to do with it. And sometimes that's a good way to go. I mean, I would really honestly suggest a mix of that kind of stuff. Because, hey, yeah. Monday morning church, it, really, if I knew what I know now, I'd be like, ooh, that is a small target we're trying to hit. With a yeah. slow, sad ballad about a guy that's angry at God, and we're going to try and get this played on country radio. But it worked because we wrote the dog out of it and it found the right spot at the right time. And it was a really Mm -hmm. strong and different hook and real emotional. So, Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't say only write the one thing yet, but the bar is really high for those. Like I don't just write a ballad anymore. Yeah. Like it's got to be like a killer idea and I can't figure out how not to write a tempo or how to write a tempo. And maybe if I'm Mm -hmm. with an artist, then it's something they really want to say and something they think will con- they connect with and will connect with their fans. Okay, that's a different game. That's, again, serving the audience, and they're thinking they're fans. My fans will freaking love this, and I'll kill it. Yes, yes, then. <laughs> that's what we want to do. Then that's the ballad for today because you are, you're you thinking about your fans and what they're going to love, so therefore I'm on board with that because, again, it's all about the listener. I think about, uh, I think about the Freddie Mercury movie uh-huh. and that scene in the movie where Brian – was coming up with we will rock you mm-hmm. yeah and he was just the whole point was like we need something in the show that people can sing along with us just yeah crowd participation man play along at home yeah and i mean i know every time i hear that beat that was like seventh grade mm-hmm. or eighth grade eighth grade lockers yeah there's all the lockers in your school and then there's like that little space where there aren't any lockers and it's just, but it's metal, the same color as oh, the yeah. locker, Yeah, but there's not a lot there. And, and then the locker is tighter and a little stronger metal. And so mm-hmm. you'd be like <laughs> on the big, that was like the big bass sound. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't ever get that out of my mind. I mean, it's like, yeah. and that whole thing was intentional. They weren't, they didn't just come up with that. And say, hey, we just wrote the song. And you know what else? It can also be a sing-along, too. That's great. <laughs> right. How, how lucky are we? Right. No. They, they're like, we need a sing-along song. Yeah. To, to do this. Which, you know, which I, I, and I get from like an artist or a writer point of view, it feels a little weird. I remember when mm-hmm. when Daryl from Kid Gypsy was, was had this song. We had this show closer. He wrote this show closer called For You. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we do this all for you. And it's just like starts out with this acoustic guitar and it, it starts so that it builds up and it's real big and it's got this massive finish. And yeah. that's the last song of the night, you know? Yeah. And I just, I just remember thinking like having a tinge of, and I don't know how to explain it, but a tinge of apprehension maybe, or just like, it didn't feel pure, mm-hmm. you know, it felt like contrived. Maybe that yeah. was it. Like, uh, until we played it. And then I was like, well, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, I'm starting to get it now. Like this is, there's a blueprint to being a writer, to being an artist. There's yeah. a blueprint to performance. There's a blueprint to a whole show performance. There's a blueprint to a vocal mm-hmm. on a vocal performance on a track. There's a blueprint to a song. And that's going to contribute to the blueprint of the, you know, just like there's a blueprint to the transmission that contributes to the <laughs> engine, the yeah. blueprint of the engine, which contributes to the blueprint of the car, which contributes to the overall experience. Like it's all like you think about it like that. And then you realize like this is put together for a reason. It ain't by accident. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's a reason this stuff works because, man, artists want I mean, they want to host a party. Because if you come out to the show and and radio, same thing. They're hosting a party. They want you to have so much fun that you forget to change channels during the commercial. And you keep on listening. Mm-hmm. And fans yep. want to have a good time. You know? And, yeah, there are some fans. And, and we're, as writers, geared a little differently. We may love those ballads, the more sophisticated lyric, the more sophisticated chord structures, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of fans just get off on. Yeah. I mean, stomping on the high, you know, junior high bleachers and yeah. clapping. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, it's, no, that, that was another thing. Yeah, everybody yeah. would stomp on the floor and then clap. And Heck that's yeah. like, I mean, that, that, the, the drum hook was a hook. It's just as identifiable as the we will, oh, yeah. we will rock you. And that was, and that became like a high school sports anthem oh. to, to scream at the other team. Heck yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's simple enough. Jeez, people, jeez. I mean, jeez. Like, think about that. Yeah. Like, it, it was perforated high schools and middle schools. Oh, and, yeah. And it became something else for them. Cheerleaders mm-hmm. with painting signs, we will rock you. Yeah, yeah and we are the champions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the flip side of that, you know, the end part of that is yes. we are the champions, my friends. I mean, how? yeah, singing that when you win your junior high conference football. Yeah, we'll keep on fighting. Yeah, the it's cheesy, end. but it's perfect because it's what you want to say. And it's like, oh, this is me. It's not singing. You're not thinking about Freddie Mercury. Yeah. You think about you, what you want to yeah. say, what you feel like. It's it's about the listener. So because it's easy to start writing for the publisher, try to see what the publisher is going to like, or maybe they'll like this or for other writers in the room or for other songwriters on Music Row or in your hometown or wherever. And start you just trying to impress them. You know what's impressive? Impressing the fan and selling some songs, <laughs> you know, getting a yeah. song on the radio because it's what fans like. That's pretty cool. You know, it's interesting. We had a uh, a thought too on uh, writing a song recently, uh, a Southern Gospel thing. But the title is one of those things where they're like, "Oh, that looked really good on like a on merch. <laughs> that look, oh, that title would look really good on merch. <laughs> you know, yeah. that look really good on a t shirt." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> Yeah. which is part of serving the artist, which is moving further down the chain of demand. And they think it's going to look good on merch because it's a saying that is inspiring, uplifting, and people would like to have it. So again, about the listener. Yeah. Okay. So what does it mean to write market smart songs? If there's one thing that always seems to cause songwriters kind of frustration, dread and confusion is talk of like the market, right? So we talk about the listeners. That's great. But we start talking about the market. Like, what does that mean? 
That's an evil word. Yeah. Here's some quotes like, oh, I'm sorry, your songs just aren't market ready. Or the market isn't there for this type of song. Or, you know, the market's changed. Uh, What does the market want? Right. Well, that's not a very marketable idea. Or your song doesn't fit the market. Like, okay. You know, so like too often the, the market appears as this big shadowy boogeyman that like arbitrarily passes over your best songs for somebody else's cliche flavor of the week ditty, right? The market kills art. You say, you know, you say it turns wild-eyed dreamers into music business like machines churning out these cookie cutter songs in a lifeless assembly line. Forget the market, you say. Forget the market. My music is for the people. Well, guess what? They're the market. They're the market. Yeah. It all starts with the people. The people are the market, or at least the people, you know, the people are the market is what the industry thinks the people will like. Right. So it's the people and what people think the people will like. So, again, people are the ones who listen to radio. They're the ones who listen to streaming services. The people are the ones who buy songs. The people are the ones who buy concert tickets. So when someone tells you they don't think your song fits the market, really what they're telling you, whether they really know it or not, even is one, they don't think enough people will like it and buy it. That's one thing. I'm not sure there's a market for it. It's not market ready. Why? I don't think people are going to like it. I don't think people are going to buy it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Two, they don't think radio will play it. They don't think radio will play it because either it's not what radio believes people will like, or it's too different from the other songs on the radio station and they're scared people will change stations, right? So radio likes different, but they don't like too different, right? So (laughs) radio's like either, oh, I don't think our people are going to like it, or they may like it, but it's so different that it's jarring and we want a nice, smooth you know, experience so you don't change channels, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, can, can we just stop there for yeah. a second? Because so two things pop into my mind. Number one is from an artistic point of view, as an artist, you're able to challenge that. As a writer, you're not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because you're not going to get the cut because they're going to try to cut what they know is going to be on the radio. But if you're writing with an artist, specifically mm-hmm. with an artist, then you can sometimes work miracles like that. I mean, all those things you said about the market's not going to like this, radio's not going to like this, but that's the story of Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. When they first came out and, and radio wasn't going to play them, nobody would sign. Like, it was, it was nowhere because it was different. The chord changes were different. Mm-hmm. The way they were doing it was different. And it was too different. And they said, well, we're going to take it to the people anyway. And they did. And clearly enough people loved it, but it was only because they had leverage. Yeah. Hello. Uh, God, if we only could name our show. About leverage. At, at, we'll, we'll think about that. <laughs> but yeah. Then next thing you know, they're on the radio and then it creates this whole subgenre. But mm-hmm. the writers did that with the artists, but the writers can't do that without the artist's vehicle to make it happen. Yeah. You've got to understand the nuance in that. Yeah, and so then, you can have that stack of stuff, and you hope eventually be, an artist comes along that's a good fit for that. I mean, sometimes that happens where a writer has a stack of stuff, and then the artist shows up that is really compatible with that. Uh, you think yeah. of, I think of Neil Thrasher and Rascal Flatts. Neil was already having cuts and hits as a writer. Mm-hmm. He's extremely talented. He's so good. And then Rascal Flatts comes along, and and he's not. I don't think he's on their first record, but by the second record, there's a connection. And I mean, because Neil Thrasher, his like vocals, he's like freaking Steve Perry from Journey. Like he can, 
mm-hmm. do that stuff, which is kind of like Rascal Flatch is like the country version of like Journey or one of those right. you know arena rock bands. And so he, yeah, man, that's so such a good fit them. So he started writing with them, and they cut a bunch of his songs because what he can do vocally, Gary can do, and that just works. Yeah. And so he a, can write the song he wants to write because Gary can sing it. Exactly. Like, oh, I can do this stuff, you know? And yeah. And they became buddies and, you know, they wrote together and all that stuff. And it was just a great marriage of writer and an artist. And for a little while, there's like the fourth flat. And he got yeah. a lot of cuts and hits, Fast Cars and Freedom and, and just a bunch of stuff. So, and he was, but he was already having success before that. But, you know, man, it's a lot easier if you can if you can obviously write with the artist and do that, or think about what's already working. And if you can do that really, really well, and then have some of your other stuff, that's that different flavor. So if hopefully again, diversifying your portfolio, but you need to be having these conversations about what is, what does the market want? What do people want? So again, if people say it's not market ready or something like that, they think not enough people are going to like it. They think radio won't play it because radio thinks people won't like it enough, or they don't think there's enough mainstream, meaning money-making artist who would record your song right so maybe i don't think it's really i don't think your song fits the market maybe why because i don't who's going to sing it right i don't think the artists are there for this right now there might be fans for it but we don't have an art there's not who's going to sing it it's got to fit some artist lane some brand of what they do so they might think that because there aren't enough fans of what that artist does to make them mainstream like yeah, there's some niche artists that do this sort of thing, but really that's not worth the juice isn't worth the squeeze. A lot of my commercial or country publishers, Major Bob, Pure Music, RPM, Writers Infinity, they were aimed mainstream country. So if I turned in an oddball like Southern Gospel song, I don't mean oddball, like the genre's not oddball, but every once in a while one of those would come out, right? Or a bluegrass mm-hmm. thing. They wouldn't really do anything with it. Yeah, because it's not their wheelhouse. It's not their wheelhouse. It didn't fit their market, their relationships. Yeah. The audience they're trying to serve is like, yeah, we could maybe able to get this cut bluegrass, but I got to learn all these people and work all this stuff just to try and get to the small market of people. They didn't think there were enough. They didn't think it was. They don't have any relationships. Yeah. There are enough fans there for them to go after. They're going after the Kenny Chesney fans. That's yeah. what they're going after. So they say it didn't fit the market. There's a, that country market. I was writing for a different market. Or they think the song is just too different from what mar- most artists know or believe their fans are going to want from them. Uh, Kenny Chesney, there are certain types of songs he just won't do. Right? There are certain types of songs yeah. Dixie Chicks won't do or Toby Keith or whoever or you know Lady Gaga yeah. or whoever. There's just a certain type of songs they won't do. So if it doesn't fit the market, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's really cool. Well, it's, it's cool, but it's not for me. Because my yeah. fans, my listeners, you know, aren't going to accept like that this. for me, or that doesn't fit with somebody. Um, yeah, talk to talk to Tracy Lawrence about not doing triple meter songs. <laughs> <laughs> like he was like country waltz balladeer, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he came out with a different record, and nobody cared. Yeah, they wanted him to do that, and that's his brand. You yeah. know what I mean? So we had a play for I think it was a play for a publisher event, one of those, and somebody had a really cool song. That it was really cool. That's why it made the cut. Uh, it was well written. It was different, but it was kind of a a song that's where the artist is saying, "I'm not drinking because of these reasons." Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not drinking alcohol because of these reasons. It was a cool song, 
good piece of art. I'm, I was a fan of it. That's why I put it through. Mm-hmm. So I wanted the publisher to hear it. Um, and the publisher made a really good point. They're like, how is this going to fit in an artist set list, like in between their beer drinking songs? <laughs> yeah. You're going to play that at the bar? I'm not drinking because of this situation. I'm not. Like me, I'm first person. I'm not drinking because of this. All right. Now for the next, you know, barn burner, you know, raise your glass, put a drink in my hand song. It's so like, how's the uh, beer sponsor going to feel about that song? Exactly. It's like, no, well, that didn't work out real well. Oh, yeah. Like, good piece of art, bad piece of commerce, possibly. I mean, yeah. you would have to find the right artist, the right place. It's a smaller yeah. bullseye. It's a harder to find. You know, you've got to turn over a lot more stones to find where that fits. So again, understand the difference. Yeah. Understand the difference. Now, Kenny Chesney had that. uh, That's why I'm here. I've been there. That's why I'm here as a guy in an AA meeting. I don't remember if that was first person point of view or not. Man, very few and far between those kind of things, because a lot of their set lists may be raise, you put a drink in my hand or raise your glass kind of stuff. We're going out drinking. And that good piece of art about this is why I don't drink anymore. That just fits funny in the middle of a set list. Well, but the language is different, right? With that's why I'm here because that's he, what he's doing in that song is relating to somebody who's going through something. Mm-hmm. And even though I haven't heard this song, you're talking about that's why I don't drink anymore. But yeah. that can be. I mean, you're you're specifically stating I don't drink anymore. Yeah, this is more about like I had this rough road and that's why I'm here. And yeah, but it was an is, AA is, song. It, it was a yeah. It was a definite I AA get that. song. But it's not saying it's just the specific language of it, yeah, right? Like, yeah. as opposed to that's why I don't drink anymore. It's like, no, that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, it's a little different. It's saying the same thing, but it's not. But it's not saying that's why I don't drink. Don't drink. Don't drink. Right. That's not what it's not what the vendors want to hear at a concert. <laughs> right. It's not what your promoters want the vendors to hear at a concert. Mm-hmm. That's not what maybe the beer sponsor on the tour wants anybody to hear. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, no, 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 no. We're here to drink. We're here yeah. to. Everybody needs another cocktail. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I've looked at a recent Kenny Chesney live double album. That one's not on it. Yeah. It was a hit for him. It was an older hit for him. He's had plenty of hits. He can't fit them. You know, he's kind of at the point. He's not going to fit all his hits into a concert. God bless his bones. I know. <laughs> but that's not one of the ones that made the cut for this double record. Huh. Yeah. Funny. It's more the fun life stuff. And there's some more like nostalgic kind of stuff, but not like a, you know, the AA song, you know? And so that's just the thing. If your song just isn't very well written, the the other thing they say may not fit the market is just because it's not that good, but they're too polite to tell you like, it's just, it's a piece of junk. Like it's not well written. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. They might just be too polite to come right out and say it to your face, <laughs> you know? But other than that, uh, so sometimes it may just be letting you down easy saying that your song doesn't fit the market. But other than that, it usually comes down to the people. Like, we don't think the people are going to, enough people are going to like this and relate to it. So therefore, I think the shortcut is thinking about the total end result. When, so when I'm writing, thinking, okay, how can this serve this artist fans? Or how can this serve uh, country artist fans or rock artist fans or bluegrass artist fans? Like, what's the service in that? How can this serve the fan? Is it going to be the the show opener that gets them hyped up? Is it going to be the ballad, you know, or the mid-tempo kind of thing that they just groove to? 
Is it going to be the empowering, live like you were dying, so it encourages them to live their best life? Is it going to be the whatever that is, like what's in it for the listener? Because it, it starts with them. If you can answer that question, you're answering the questions that the artist is trying to answer, right? You're providing yeah. answers to the questions that are already in the artist's mind if they're smart. And it gets you ahead of the game. Instead of just going, I'm writing this stuff. It's cool. It's serving me. I think it's different. Blah, 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 blah. Then you realize no one cares. And I got plenty of those. That's cool. It's different. It's not like everything else, which is you want to be different. You want to have put your own spin on it because you got to give them a reason to pick your song versus everyone else's. But at the end of the day, if the people don't care, it's not going to help you stay in the game. Yeah. So, you know, that's just what I want to talk about today is, is just thinking about what what's in it for the listener? What's a service to them? If you serve the listener well, then basically we're in the problem solving business. I'm like trying to help the artist solve their problems. Their problem is I need songs that make my fans feel the way I want to feel. So they listen to me on the radio. They buy my concert tickets and T-shirts and all that stuff. If I'm thinking about how to solve the same problem the artist is thinking about, then we're on the same team. You know, yeah. I'm not That's just right. trying to think about how do I get, how does an artist solve my problems? I'm thinking about how do I solve the fans' problems? They need a jam yeah. for this Friday night. If I can provide the jam for this Friday night, by golly, I've also solved the artist problem because they're looking for mm-hmm. provide a jam for the listener for Friday night. And if I can, then if I can get it to the art, the artist, and then be like, Dad, gummit, you've solved my problem. That's great. Let's go make money. Yeah, kind of, kind of works you all the way through that chain of demand. If you think about the end result, you get that right, then it takes care of all the steps in between. You still got to get it to the people, and that's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> yeah. at least you you can get to them with something that is helping solve their problems, which is ultimately providing good stuff for the listener. So anyway, hey, thanks for li- uh, sitting in on this one. I have a gift for you. It's uh, called Think Like a Pro Songwriter. It's lessons I've learned the hard way and some of the fun way in the music business. It's to help you think like a pro, write like a pro, and tell you how to connect to the pros. You can get that for free. It's a PDF download. You just tell me where to send it, and we send it right out to you. You can find it at songwritingpro.com slash gift. That is songwritingpro.com slash gift. And again, we'll send it right out to you. It's just my gift to you for sitting through my, my rants. There you go. That takes us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Make sure that you join the Climb community. Leave a rating and review. And tell a friend about it, guys. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.